Our reading today comes from Proverbs chapter 19, verses 21 through 23. Starting in verse 21. Many plans are in a person's mind, but the Lord's purpose will succeed. People long for trustworthiness. It is better to be poor than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life. The one, then one rests content, untouched by harm. So may God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. Our hearts and minds are open. Amen. Well, friends, if you have been with us for the past four weeks, we have been focusing on our distractions. What distracts us from being who God wants us to be, from doing what God wants us to do. And today we're going to finish this series by looking at distractions that keep us away from God's purpose for our lives. My name is uh, Reverend Mike Holly. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is a joy to be with you here in our modern worship service. I know a few people were sort of looking at Pastor Michael a few minutes ago, and you thought, that guy looks so familiar. He looks just like a guy that's normally here. Well, that's the same guy. He just didn't have his glasses on. He now has contacts, thanks to Robert's wife. He is... He is glasses free, and he's looking at me like, come on, Mike, let's, let's go. But I don't think, guys, I don't know if I can actually touch my eyeball. That is just a little bit too much for me. My wife has been able to make that transition to go from glasses to, to contacts, but I don't think I can do that. So today we're going to talk about what it means for us to be focused in our purpose and to ignore the distractions that lead us away from who God wants us to be. So before we get started, I want you to remember these words and to remember them throughout the whole series or the whole sermon today. And you probably have heard these before. You probably have heard these before. Several people have preached these words before, but they are timeless because of how powerful they are. So the first is this, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And then the other is remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. I remember growing up in Aiken, South Carolina when I was a young person there. My father was someone who was involved in city employment. He was the city attorney. And in Aiken, that meant that he got to have an unmarked police car. He had a Crown Vic. And I loved it. And I used to tell people that he was an undercover police officer. Because city attorney sounded so boring to me as a child. But I remember riding around in that, and he always talked about our family, how we had been in this city for a long time, and that we always had to live up to our name, the Holly name. My grandfather was an insurance agent, and he had built up a lot of connections in the city. My dad was the city attorney. I was sort of in that line, and I had to remember who I was. I came from that family, and what I did, what I did in the community reflected on that family. It was a lot of pressure for a young person uh, to go through, but I think that this is an important thing for us to understand. Remember who we are, remember whose we are, and we're going to study a little bit closer into what that means for us uh, this morning, because it's very important for us to understand our purpose related to our faith, 
So I don't know about you, but I grew up, again, sort of idolizing several people in my life. And from time to time, I tried to act like them. I even tried to dress like them. Uh, This is a part of our growing up. I don't know if you know this or not, but there is a, a psychologist named Eric Erickson. And he says that our life is a journey of stages. It starts with identity. At a young age, we're trying to figure out who am I separate from my parents? Who am I separate from my friends? We're struggling with identity and some young people go through the process of changing the way they look, whether it's dyeing their hair, cutting their hair, growing their hair out, dressing like this kind of person, dressing like that kind of person. We go through this stage. Then we go into something he calls intimacy. That's where we're learning to love and to be loved. We might be, begin dating. We might get to the point where we're getting married. And then along the way, your life continues through these stages until the very end. And he calls this stage, Eric Erickson, generativity. You want to leave a legacy behind. What difference has my life made? Is the world better because I existed? And one of the things that people often say is that I wish I had thought about generativity before I got to this stage in my life. I wish I had left a legacy before I got to the end of my journey. Friends, Christians are the kind of people that need to think through what it means for us to know who we are, our identity, and to know whose we are, to be intimately in a relationship with God and to know who he is calling us to be so that we can be generative, so that we can make a difference in the world around us. But we kind of get stuck along the way with, with identity, When I was in college and graduating and going to seminary, I worked at a place near Asheville, North Carolina for a summer. And have you heard of, a lot of people are talking about aesthetics these days. Apparently there's some kind of aesthetic called coastal grandmother. And people are dressing like this and they're decorating their homes in this way. I never thought grandmother would be a cool trend out there, but there it is. So grandmas, you're back in now. You're cool. Coastal grandmother. So the aesthetic that was going around in the early 2000s was sort of a hiker, you know, REI, uh, Alabama Outdoors. People were dressing more and more like they were about to go on a hike at any moment. Think of the city of Portland. Everybody dresses like they're about to go on a hike. And my, my boss, my mentor, his name was Chris, sort of dressed like this. And he always had these really cool shoes, and I wanted to be like Chris. So after about two or three weeks of working, I had saved up enough money. I went to the store, and I bought a pair of shoes just like him. About a week or two later, he got a new pair of shoes. (laughs) And I figured, I got to stop this. I cannot afford to continue to try, try to keep up with him. You know, sometimes when we're not paying attention We try to let other people be the example for our lives. Instead of being authentically who we are, we try to fit into the image of other people. That can be just in the way we dress or the way we act, but it can also be the way that we try to live our lives. Instead of trying to be uniquely who God has made us to be, it's almost like we want other people to give us the script of who we are and how we live. Inc. Magazine, which is mostly for business leaders and entrepreneurs, they put out 
a, a, an article several years ago about how we can be uniquely who we're supposed to be. Now, this was not through a religious lens, a Christian lens. It was mainly through the lens of authenticity of becoming the best employer, the best business leader that you can be. But I love the way that they talk about this. They said that if you want to be uniquely who you are gifted to be, if you're going to find your purpose in life, you've got to stop living from the outside in and start living from the inside out. So if we're living from the outside in, that means we're taking our cues from other people. We're trying to dress like other people, like I was wearing Chris's cool shoes. If we're living from the outside in, we're asking people, who do I need to be to get ahead? Who do I need to be to be loved? Who do I need to be to fit in? That's living from the outside in. And what God wants us to do is to flip that. Because God doesn't want us to be like everybody else. If that were the case, God would have made us look the same. He would have made us act the same. He would have given us all the same kind of gifts. But any parent of any kid who's in the room knows your kids are radically different, aren't they? They are not made the same way. They act very differently. I know that my my wife, Julie, she was an excellent French student. Her little sister was not that great at French. She was still good, but she wasn't that great. And when she had the same teacher, the teacher made a mistake. She shouldn't have said this, but she said, I thought you would be more like your sister. Well, from that moment on, my sister-in-law didn't care about that class anymore and started making bad grades because she didn't want to be compared to her sister, right? They're different. They're radically different. If God wanted us all to be the same, he would have created us the same with the same gifts, but that's not what God did. God created us as unique people with different gifts, with different passions, with different purposes, If we live from the outside in, we're not becoming who God has uniquely created us to be. So we've got to learn to live from the inside out. One of the ways that I want to challenge you to think about this is to think about who you are. What are your strengths? What are your gifts? What are your dreams? What do you want to see in the world? What do you most want to see in the world? Recently, Robert and I went on a trip over to Atlanta, and we happened to be at this uh, event where the chaplain of the Senate was speaking. The chaplain of the Senate, which is currently split 50-50, right? That has to be the hardest job in the world, a chaplain for people in Washington, D.C. God must have blessed this man. He was even, he told us, he was mocked on Saturday Night Live by Kenan Thompson, for the way that he prayed. I have to go back and find that prayer. I would love to see it. But one of the things that he said was that often some of these senators get the dream of wanting to become the president of the United States. And so they come to this chaplain and they ask him, chap, do you think that I should run for president? And do you know what he asked them? He doesn't say yes or no. He says, what are your dreams telling you? One President Hopeful responded to this chaplain and said, I don't dream. I don't dream. He said, I guarantee you, you dream. So this presidential hopeful kept a journal by his bed 
And whenever he had a dream, he wrote it down. And after a few months, he came back to the chaplain and said, you're right, I do dream. What are your dreams? Sometimes we are so busy living our lives that we don't really slow down to think about what do I hope for? What do I want to happen in my life? What do we want to happen in this church? What do we want to happen in our family? What are our hopes and dreams? I know my wife has been on, uh, on to me about talking about what do we want to do together as a couple? Where do you want to go? And I finally came up with, I want to go to England. So one day we're going to go to England. And she said, next, what do you want to go see? I don't know. I just want to go to England, right? And so I've got to slow down. I've got to look at a travel book and pick out things that I want to go and see. Because it's going to be kind of a waste of time if we show up in London and I don't know what to do other than to go see Big Ben and I don't know, go see the changing of the guard. I'm going to have a lot of unplanned things to do in England if we're there for more than three days, right? What are your dreams? Can you slow down enough in order to think about what do you hope for? What do you most passionately want to see changed in the world? And if you start slowing down and thinking about what your dreams are, then you might have a clue as to what your purpose may be. Slow down enough to actually look at your life and say, what are your strengths? I know that some people want to be so humble that they don't want to focus on themselves. They don't want to think about what they're good at. Fine, talk to somebody else. Talk to a trusted friend. Talk to a teacher or a mentor and say, what am I good at? If you needed something and you thought of me, what would you come to me and ask for? What specialty, what, what strength would you come to me for? What are your strengths? What are your dreams? What do you most want to see done in the world? That is a route for figuring out who you are and how God has uniquely knit you to be you. The next step is going to be how to figure out what to do with that purpose, what to do with those gifts, what to do with those strengths. I want to say to you that it's easy to figure out what to do next, but that's not true, is it? Sometimes when we figure out who we are and what our purpose is, we don't know exactly what to do. Sometimes the best way is by trial and error, trying to do something, volunteering in a ministry and seeing if you, if you actually are good at it. I guarantee you that even the best preachers didn't start out that way. They had to practice over time. Even the best missionaries had to make a few mistakes. Trial and error, figuring out how your purpose is useful in the kingdom of God by trying, by doing, by making a stab at it or by taking a stab at it. I also think sometimes we need to not ask God for the plan, but we need to ask God for the next step. Sometimes we don't know what to do in terms of how we're gonna live out our purpose, how we're gonna live out our unique identity and so we, we try to ask God for every answer so that we can know the full trajectory of things before we even start. And I don't think God is the kind of person that gives us all that information all up front. Sometimes we have to go on the journey before we know the final destination of that journey. I look back to Genesis chapter 12 and the witness of Abram. You may remember from your Old Testament history that Abram was a nomad living out in the wilderness with his family. He was living in this foreign land. He wasn't living in Israel yet. 
And God spoke to him and said, Abram, I've got a deal for you. I'm gonna give you generations. I'm gonna give you so many descendants, they'll be like the stars in the sky. Now, I want you to think about not the kind of sky we see in Birmingham. Have you ever been out to the country? Have you ever been to the middle of nowhere at night and looked up at the sky and you see all these stars that we don't get to see? That's the kind of sky that Abram looked at. And so he was looking up at the sky and he said, God, you're gonna do all this. You're gonna give me all these descendants. And God said, yep, but you have got to go to a new place, so pack up, and I'll show you where to go. That's the kind of faith that Abram had because God never told him where he was going, what it was gonna be like when he got there. All God told Abram was is that I'm gonna be your God. You're gonna be my people. You're gonna have a bunch of descendants. It's gonna be awesome. That's all that God said. Pack up and go. If Abram one of the core people celebrated in the Old Testament didn't know the full plan, then we will not know the full plan for our life and our purpose either. But we can start with a sense of who we are, what our strengths are, what our gifts are, and take those steps along the way, knowing that God will continue to lead us from one step to the other. I think if we're gonna remember who we are we also have to remember whose we are, right? Because who we are is intimately woven into whose we are. We are gods. We belong to God, each and every one of us. Christians are the ones that are supposed to be living into who we are because of whose we are. We are gods. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus was teaching near the temple. And he was asked by some people there whether or not they should pay taxes to Caesar. How many of us wish that Jesus said, Christians don't have to pay any taxes, right? How should you react to having pay taxes to Caesar? This isn't about paying taxes to Israel. This is about paying taxes to a foreign power. Something that the people back in July of 1776 were very much against, right? Paying taxes to a foreign power. How should we react? Now, we're going to show you an image real quick. These are Roman coins. These are is a Roman denarius. So Jesus, instead of just saying yes or no, whether or not you should pay taxes to Caesar, he said, give me a denarius. And he asked the people around, whose image is on this coin? So you see the image. Whose image is on this coin? Caesar Augustus. You see that? Caesar Augustus. That's whose image was on the coin. Jewish people had to use these coins to pay for things in their city, but they could not bring this coin into the temple. They could not use this coin to give to God or to give alms, to give an offering to God. Why? Because God said, you shall not bear an image of a false idol. And Caesar Augustus claimed to be a living God. And so... When you came to the temple, you had to take your Roman money, your denarii, and exchange them with money changers at the temple so that you could take your Roman coins and exchange them for Jewish coins. Now you know why there were money changers in the temple, right? There were money changers in the temple so that you didn't have to use Roman coins in holy worship services. But Jesus says, give me the coin. Whose image is on it? And everybody says, Caesar's. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. 
And that sounds like a really easy answer, right? If Caesar gives you this money, then you give it right back. It kind of sounds like Jesus is saying, pay your taxes, but remember, you don't give your praise to God. But I want you to imagine for a moment that Jesus was trying to teach us something important about the image. Whose image is on the coin? Caesar, Caesar Augustus. Where is the image of God? Where is the image of God bared in this world? On us. God said that he created Adam and Eve in his image. We are image bearers. We can only give ourselves to God. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. What is God's? Everything, including us. His image is on us. We are God's. We belong to God. That's whose we are. Our purpose is part of God's purpose. You saw in Proverbs, it starts with verse 21 in chapter 19, that human minds will devise a lot of plans, but ultimately it's God's purpose that will prevail. It is God's purpose that will succeed. For us, that means that if we're going to be God's, we've got to understand that whatever our plans are, they have to merge together with God's plans for us. If we are God's, then whatever our purpose is, it's got to extend to what God wants us to do. The distractions are about trying to imitate others. The distractions are to feel like I don't have a purpose. I'm not special. I'm not important. Why would God give his image to you if you didn't have a purpose? Why would God give his image to you if you didn't matter? Friends, all of us have a place to fit within the kingdom of God, to fit within the purpose of God. And God's way will succeed in us. But we've got to believe in whose we are, that we are not an accident, that we are meant for something. One of my favorite authors who talks about how we are meant for something greater is Brennan Manning. And Brennan Manning has this quote that I want to share with you. He calls anyone who has the image of God the beloved. Anyone who is made in the image of God the beloved. Why? Because God loves you. You are beloved. So he says, being the beloved is our identity, the core of our existence. It is not merely a lofty thought, an inspiring idea, or one name among many. It is the name by which God knows us and the way that he relates to us. Can you imagine that? That God doesn't just look at you as a social security number. God looks at you as the beloved, with a purpose, with a plan in mind for you. I wish that I could stand here and tell you all what your purpose is, but let's be honest. I've only been here two months. I don't know you all yet. But I can guarantee you that God knows you, that you are of the beloved. He knows the number of hairs on your head, and he knows your purpose. We've got to get rid of the distractions of trying to be like everybody else and start asking us ourselves those core questions. Who am I? Whose am I? What are my dreams? What are my strengths? What are my gifts? Because all of these are important if we're going to find our unique purpose. I want to say one more thing to you as we begin the 
journey towards the end of this uh, worship service today, and that is there is a purpose for more than just our own selves. There is a purpose for churches. There's a purpose even for worship services. And I'm going to ask you to participate in something today before we end. We're going to put a QR code up on the screen in just a moment. And if you have a smartphone or if you can borrow one from somebody, we're going to ask you to use this. This is something called Mentimeter. So if you have a smartphone, you can use this. Take a picture of it and it'll take you to a website. I want you to think about this as you're about to use this. What are the hopes and dreams that God has or that you have for this modern worship service? This service exists for a purpose, just like you have a purpose. This service exists to bring people love and joy, to help them know that they are beloved by God. What do you hope will happen because of this service? What do you hope will happen in this community, in this church because of our modern worship service. I want you to plug those words in and you're gonna see in just a moment, once everybody's had a chance to do it, the words that each of you put in. It's gonna be a word cloud. Have you seen a word cloud before? It's gonna be a word cloud. So put serious things in there, okay? Robert was talking about how he wanted to have even more donuts in the back. I don't know why he was saying that, but I think he wants different, I think he wants the cream-filled donuts, not just sprinkles on top. We're not talking about donuts, we're talking about vision. We're talking about what God wants to do with this church, with this worship service. What do you hope lies in the future for modern worship? Take a second and put those words in there because we want to show you the hopes and dreams of the people in our service today. How can we have a future with hope? We can have a future of hope because God is working in and through this church, this service, and you, the uniquely gifted people who are here with us. I don't know if we're ready to go to that word cloud yet. We'll see if we are getting close to that. Here we are. Look at this. Growth, connection, love, community, diversity, praise, peace. These are the kind of things that we want to have happen in this service. Connection, acceptance, kindness. God in the small things, taking care of each other. I love praying. Thank you. It's our responsibility, folks. It's our responsibility, friends, to take these words and to vision what they look like in the future. How do these words go to the kind of worship service we will have one day? I want to remind you one thing, though. These visions that Robert and Jeremiah and all the worship team will be working on to paint a, a, paint a picture of the future of our service, all of these things cannot happen unless we, each of us, offer the best of our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, our talents, and our witness. So let's give God our best so that this can be our future. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we thank you for the gift of your love, for the gift of your care in knitting us together in unique ways. Thank you for making us who we are. Remind us whose we are. That as we give from the very core of our being, we are giving the best of what you made in us.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.